Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's programme, the Black Caps chase Test Match Redemption, the Phoenix chase away Ricky Herbert, and the Black Sox chase a World Championship title. We also hear from Crusaders halfback Andy Ellis ahead of their opening Super Rugby match of the season. And Marina Arakovic wins her first WTA tennis title, while New Zealand rowing welcomes on board an Australian. Cricket might be New Zealand's summer game, but this summer's not been a golden one for the sport. The Black Caps' opportunity for redemption in the Test Arena begins in Dunedin next week when they play England in the first Test of a three-match series. But with Ross Taylor's sacking and the humiliating losses in South Africa still hanging over them, can the sport recover from its summer of discontent? Practice night at the Upper Hutt United Cricket Club and the fortunes of the Black Caps are never far from discussion, particularly given the events of the past few months. The turmoil has galvanised a group of former international players, led by former Black Cab John Parker, to push for change at board level. It's not a, a militia or anything uh, political. It's about trying to do things that will improve New Zealand cricket. This Taylor affair really broke the camel's back, so we all decided that we should do something. And it's everybody sort of coordinated in trying to be constructive, initially at least. John Parker's adamant the Ross Taylor saga wouldn't have happened if New Zealand cricket had former international players on its board. New Zealand cricket is currently reviewing its constitution and board structure. The chairman, Chris Moller, has said all current members will resign later this year and a new board will be appointed, with the proposal being that six members will be elected and two appointed. The New Zealand cricket chief executive, David White, himself a former international, concedes there's a group of frustrated former players who don't feel they are being listened to. He's organising a meeting of former New Zealand captains, which will be held during the third test against England in Auckland. We'll give them an update of what we've been doing. Um, listen, we're, we're cricket people. Stephen Bock and I, are gonna, our president, are going to run the meeting. These are people that we've played with all our careers, and, and, and no, we're cricket folk, and we're going to, you know, we will listen to them. It's not going to be a, an us and them situation. We need to work together. The former Black Cab, Dion Nash, says he'll also be attending, but is sceptical about the meeting's worth. The cynical part of me suggests that that's a good PR move to shut everyone up, <laughs> but, but I hope it's not. A senior lecturer in organisational studies at Victoria University's Faculty of Commerce and Administration is Dr Todd Bridgman. He says the turmoil that's engulfed the sport shows just how dysfunctional New Zealand cricket has become. I cannot think of a worst practice case of how to manage leadership and change in organisation. That is why there is very strong evidence that the organisation is in a crisis and is dysfunctional in terms of its relationship amongst its senior management and board, and that is inevitably going to filter down through the organisation. John Parker agrees with Dr Bridgman's off-field assessment of New Zealand cricket management 
and fears on the field the Black Cabs could be found equally wanting against England. Logic, common sense says that we're going to struggle in the test matches, but I'm not sure a good performance on the cricket field in a few people's minds may only putty the holes of the problems that exist in New Zealand cricket. The Black Caps are in the firing line first up when they must face the England pace attack in the first test in Dunedin on Wednesday. Chief Executive David White's next test comes a couple of weeks later. At that point, though, he may well wish he was back at the crease seeing off the England bowlers rather than having to fend off a barrage from former captains. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. Ricky Herbert, the only coach the Wellington Phoenix A-League football side has known, has gone, resigning this week at the tail end of a disastrous season. Despite sitting last in the competition with only four games remaining, the club maintains Herbert wasn't pushed. Christopher Gilbert reports. Ricky Herbert has led the Wellington Phoenix since it was formed six years ago. But now he's gone, the club must find a new coach for next season, with that decision to be made in the coming months by the club's board. Its general manager, Dave Dome, says Herbert wasn't pushed. We were going to uh, review his contract at the end of the year, and that was what we were working towards. Um, I think Ricky's certainly felt the pressure of results over the last couple of weeks, and, and he's wanted to concentrate on the All Whites campaign. So, uh, look, there wasn't any indication that it was coming, but, you know, he's a very honourable man. Herbert will work for the club for another year as a technical advisor to the board. Herbert said in a statement that he will now give the All Whites his undivided attention, where he remains coach. New Zealand football's chief executive, Grant McKevener, says he can now concentrate on getting the youthful team to next year's FIFA World Cup. I absolutely got full confidence in Ricky and the uh, All Whites uh, management team around him. They've, they've got us there once and we're uh, very confident we'll do it again. We've got some great players coming through. We've got uh, Michael McGlinchey, Tommy Smith, Chris Wood. So we've got a lot of young, fresh players who you know haven't had perhaps the opportunities that the last group had to get to the World Cup. The Phoenix are having their worst ever season, but a former All-White, Danny Hay, says although Ricky Herbert's resignation was inevitable, it's surprising he didn't stick out the season. You know, it is going to disrupt the playing group somewhat, but you know, I think the reality is uh, Ricky probably has realised, as, as have the club, that he's probably taken them as far as he possibly can and that it's time for a change. I think what this does now is it's made the decision nice and clear and it gives the Phoenix owners an opportunity to start looking into who's going to be the person to take them forward. A spokesperson for the Yellow Fever fans group, David Cross, says it was time to go. I think based on the results, the writing's been on the wall for a while. Ricky's had plenty of chances and come through them. You know, He's been tested and tried many times over the five years he's been there. Uh, but it might be time to draw a line in the sand and start building a new Phoenix. And while we do that, we just absolutely admire what Ricky's done. David Cross says under Herbert, the Phoenix have rejuvenated New Zealand football. He says Chris Greenacre, who takes over as interim coach, now faces a David and Goliath task in getting the Phoenix to this year's playoffs. Greenacre, till now the assistant coach, believes the season can be salvaged. He says although he's deeply saddened by Herbert's departure, the team's been told to put it out of their mind. The next six weeks, you've got to eat, breathe, sleep this football club. That's all that matters. Um, Other than your families, this is the most important thing in your lives. We'll be giving everything we can to make sure that this club's in the playoffs at the end of the season. That has to be the way forward, and it starts now. Chris Greenacre says whoever inherits Herbert's job next year should fit the culture of the team and its supporters. Meanwhile, former All-White and English Premier League player Danny Hay spoke to Bridget Tunnicliffe about Herbert's departure. It was inevitable that uh, probably come the end of the year, uh, regardless of, of what happened in the interim, 
Uh, I think Ricky Herbert was probably no longer going to be the uh, the man in sole charge of the Wellington Phoenix. You know, you've had Gareth Morgan coming out publicly and saying that he would like to see a change in style, and a style that really isn't one of Ricky Herbert's strengths. So I think it, it was only a matter of time before this did happen. Would it have made more sense and been better for the team for Ricky to step down at the end of the season? Yeah, I think I think that's probably a fair comment. Um, you know, it is going to disrupt the the playing group somewhat, but. Uh, you know, I think the reality is uh, Ricky probably has realised, as as have the club, that he's probably taken them as far as he possibly can and that it's uh, time for a change. Now, I think what this does now is obviously it's it's made the decision nice and clear and it gives the, the Phoenix owners an opportunity to start looking into who's going to be the, the person to take them forward. Do you think this maybe should have happened sooner? Yeah, I think that's probably one argument. Um, you know, at the end of the day... Uh, you know, they've probably underperformed over the last couple of seasons. They did uh, finish third, I think, in the 2010 season after the playoffs. But that was, that was if you look back at it and you look at the stats, it's, that's sort of been a, a one-hit wonder in terms of uh, their six years in the league. So, you know, I think he's, uh, Ricky Herbert, that is, has, has been very lucky. He's had more than, more than an opportunity to uh, make something of his time at the club. Um, unfortunately, that hasn't happened probably to the extent that he would have liked. So it is time to, for the club to have cut ties, move forward and obviously try and turn it around to a legitimate and uh, well thought of professional franchise in this country. There is a new role for Ricky um, still with the Phoenix as a technical advisor. Um, do you think he should stay with the club? Oh look, if it's if it's me, I think uh, you know he's like I said earlier, he's had he's had six years there to uh, obviously try and do something and, and do something very well. Um, I don't think that has has happened to the extent that it should have or what he would have liked. So I think it's probably time now for the for the club and for Ricky Herbert to cut ties. I guess it would be a little bit different had he taken them to a, a grand final or, or a grand final victory. Um, that he could have said, yep, look, I'm stepping aside, I'm now going to move upstairs and uh, take over a technical director role and for somebody else to come in and actually coach the site. But that hasn't happened, so I think it's it's better. And if you, you look at professional franchises in any sport, I think it's better when there's a clean cut. Do you think the way this has ended has t- sort of tarnished his time with the club? Yeah, uh, look, uh, it's obviously disappointing where they're sitting at the moment. Um, but like I said, you know he's had uh, he's had 146 games in, in charge with only just over 50 wins, so it's it's not a great return. Um, so I, I think he, you know if it had been in in any other league or any other country in the world, Ricky probably wouldn't have lasted that long. And that's just being brutally honest, and that's the nature of professional sport. And I think it's something that we probably uh, forget a little bit at times in this country that at the end of the day, this is a business. It's about trying to gain some credibility, win games, and uh, make some money for the owners. And that hasn't happened, so it is time to move move on. He has said one of the reasons for leaving is that he wants to concentrate more um, efforts on the All-Whites. Do you think having both jobs may have affected his performance at the Phoenix? Well, most definitely it's, uh, it's affected his performance. At the end of the day, the Phoenix is a 24-7, 12-month-of-the-year 12, 12 job. Uh, any professional team is you need to uh, spend that that sort of time on it to to do it any justice. When you're in the off season, you need to be thinking about what you're going to be doing for the season coming, the the recruitment, the uh, the sort of pre-season program you're going to put in place, the tactics, the style, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The same with the All Whites now. That's uh, for me. It's uh, 
24-7, 12 months of the year job. We've got players playing at all different uh, levels and different leagues around the world. And they need to be monitored. We need to be putting a, a really good program in place if we want to have a genuine chance of, of making the World Cup in Brazil in 2014. Do you think the Phoenix may look overseas for a replacement or is there enough coaching talent within New Zealand? Well, look, I think it would be remiss of them not to cast a net as far and wide as they possibly can. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a number of uh, very, very good coaches. I'm not talking top level as in Premier League or Serie A in, in Spain. I'm talking probably the next tier down, but I'd be very surprised if there weren't a number of coaches who, who looked at a job at Wellington Phoenix and thought that would be something either to uh, as, a, as a stepping stone where they could push on to something higher or as an opportunity to maybe bring their, bring a, a young family down and enjoy a lifestyle. But it's a, I'd imagine it'd be a well sought after job from from some high class coaches, and I think the uh, well mixed group, the owners of the Phoenix, really need to to look at that option. The Blues coach Sir John Kerwin's claiming underdog status against perennial Super Rugby contenders, the Crusaders, at Eden Park on Friday night. The Blues won their opening match against the Hurricanes last week, while the Crusaders had a bye and are yet to kick their season off. The Crusaders' halfback Andy Ellis concedes not having won the title since 2007 means there's some added pressure on them this year. The boys put pressure on themselves anyway, you know. It has been frustrating. We've made the semis of the finals um, ever since we last won it, and um, it, it is frustrating that we, you know, we haven't been able to push on and, and win more titles through that time. But I think that just gives us more motivation this year to, to try and get it right. And you know, we've we've had to make changes and, and tweak things so that. Um, when it comes when it comes to play footy, um, we, know, we know how to react. I mean, obviously the first things first, and, and we've got to play some good footy, and, and it's got to start from the first round, really. And I think um, that's probably the key. Are you relying on the All Blacks uh, players to get you through this season? No, no, it doesn't really work like that. You know, um, you've got to have a, a bunch of guys who really play for each other, and, and when the team plays well, that's when when the individuals look uh, look good. You know, I think. Uh, that's the key, you know. It's it's great having so many All Blacks in the group who who really add some some great punch and um, have got a lot of experience and knowledge as well. Uh, but you know, if you're going to go well in this in this tournament, you've got to you've got to have real team buy-in. You know, everyone's got to got to do their bit, and and you know, um, the depth of the squad I think is also really important. What's it like without Richie McCaw? Are you? It's it's okay, you know. The boys have moved on. It's great having a leader like Rito in the mix. Um, and you know we've got we've got so many other senior guys leaders here too. You know you got guys like Flinny and Crocky and um, you know obviously Dan. Um, so you got guys who can really lead and, and show show the young guys how um, how we do things, I suppose. You know, um, which is great. Uh, obviously Richie's one one of the best players in the world, and, and he will be missed. Um, but we're really fortunate to have have depth guys like Matt Todd and Shane Christie and. Um, you know, Luke Whitelock, these guys who are, who are real young, exciting talent, you know, and coming in and uh, them getting their chance. I know that they're all really excited about it. Uh, which New Zealand team do you think will be toughest to beat? Oh, it's so hard to tell. We've played the Highlanders and the Hurricanes pre-season. Both were, both were quality sides, both beat us, you know. Um, so they'll be tough. I know the Blues have got a lot to prove this year. They've got a lot of young, excited guys, you know, looking to play. And obviously the Chiefs winning the competition last year, having great coaches, and you know I know that they've got a real uh, good culture growing in their group too. So I, I think it's really hard to tell until you, a couple of weeks in and you really see. But I think, as always, all those New Zealand teams are just big matches whenever you, whenever you play them. And what are your personal goals for this year? Uh, yeah, I want to make the All Blacks again, definitely. Yeah, um, you know, and I'm really keen to to win win a title. You know, I think um, 
being involved with the Crusaders for you know as long as I have, I'd, I'd really love to win um, more titles. You know, that's that's a that's a big driving focus for me. Um, and yeah, the other thing for me is just I just really want to enjoy it. You know, I'm 28 now, and um, I've been playing rugby here for a while, and I've got you know the, my best mates here, you know, lifelong friends. Um, so I want to really savor savor the moments. You know, have a really good time with them, and, and just really enjoy my rugby. That's Crusaders halfback Andy Ellis. The New Zealand tennis player Marina Arakovic this week became the first New Zealand woman in almost 25 years to win a WTA singles title. Arakovic beat Germany Sabine Lisicki in the final of the Memphis indoor tournament, as Jacob McSweeney reports. Arakovic won the first set 6-1 and then claimed the title after her opponent, the third-seeded German Sabina Lisicki, was forced to retire from the match unwell. The New Zealander says while that's not the way she wanted it to go, she's pleased to have her first title. Once I got that trophy in my hand, it was a very, very special feeling and it all went really fast, so I think uh, tomorrow when I wake up I'll be one happy girl. It was third time lucky for Arakovic after losing out in her last two singles finals in Quebec City in 2011 and at Memphis last year. Her father, Mladen Arakovic, was unable to watch the game because he was on board the oil tanker he works on. But he says he got a phone call from his daughter afterwards with the good news. I'm really happy because, you know, Marina, she was in her third final and she was really hoping that she will break through in this one. And, uh, you know, getting this win, I think uh, it will give her a lot, lot of confidence for future. Brenda Perry spent more than 35 years representing New Zealand in both a playing and an officiating capacity in professional women's tennis and has been closely following Irakovic's career. She was in Singapore in 1989 for Belinda Cordwell's win and says this victory is a milestone for tennis in New Zealand. It's just fantastic. Here we are 24 years later and um, it's the first time we've seen a, another Kiwi win a title on the tour and in the leading women's sport in the world in terms of numbers that play at a professional level and prize money and profile around the world, etc. So it's a very significant and exciting day for sport, I think, in New Zealand and, and women's sport in particular. Brenda Perry says Arakovic shows a maturity beyond her years. An individual sport in particular that requires you to be pretty much on the road for most of the weeks of a year and around the world and away from home and no other New Zealanders on the scene, it's, uh, you know, you have to be gutsy. The Seed Foundation offers grants to help New Zealand's best young tennis players and it scouted and funded Arakovic at the start of her career. Although she no longer receives funding from the foundation, its chair, Alan Chester, says yesterday's win was a special moment. We're still very close with her and keep in touch with her and her family and um, just delighted, just delighted for her to get a singles title. She's had the doubles titles, of course, and she's had some good wins going through through some latter rounds of some tournaments, but there's nothing like winning a, a tournament like that. Marina Arakovic will now have a week of training before she returns to competition at the next WTA tournament at Indian Wells in California, starting on March the 6th. Barry Guy spoke with Marina Arakovic immediately after her win and asked about her opponent's illness. You know, I, um, I started off good, you know, I got going and I took that first set and then uh, she called out the doctor and obviously there was something wrong and... Uh, I think she she is sick. I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but uh, she couldn't continue. And, um, you know, I, I hope everything's all right. And uh, it's sort of not the way I wanted it to go, but um, that's how it did. And, uh, you know, it's a first title, so I'm very happy. Yeah, the way you've played this week and obviously the way you started today, the form's great. 
Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I had a really tight match in the first round. I was a match point down, managed to squeeze that one out. I, you know, I beat uh, next round Sophia Arvidsson, who beat me here last year in the final. So I managed to play better and better each time around and, and gain some confidence. So um, it was a very good week. And as you say, first ever title. Has it sunk in? Um, I think so. I mean, I, once I got that trophy in my hand, it was... It was a very, very special feeling, and um, you know, it all went really fast. So um, I think uh, tomorrow when I wake up, I'll be one happy girl. Does it make you think about all the hard work and early days and all those travelling and everything that's gone into this? Yeah, definitely. It's something that I've always wanted to happen, and uh, I work very hard. I play a lot of tennis. I you know, play a lot of tournaments, and uh, it's um, when it does happen, it's... Um, it's a sense of happiness and a little bit of relief too. And the first New Zealander, I think, since Belinda Cordwell. So, I mean, this is quite an achievement. Have you sort of thought about New Zealand or New Zealand tennis at all? Definitely. You know, I um, I get a lot of support from home, a lot of you know texts, a lot of calls, and I know this means quite a bit to many people. So, I'm the only Kiwi out there you know, representing New Zealand at this quite, you know, quite a good level. And um, I'm very proud that I can do that. So hopefully I can inspire some youngsters to go out there and, and pick up a racket. Now, this is obviously a tournament that you like and the court and everything, but I understand this is the last time that uh, the women's event's going to be held there. So you'll be the last winner of this event. That's right. Um, hopefully, you know, it might not be. You never know what can happen, but... Um, at the moment, that's right, and uh, it's, it, is a, it is a shame. It's a great event, and, um, you know, we're all keeping our fingers crossed that it'll come back. Now, you've got Indian Wells, Miami coming up, big events. How's this set you up for that? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I'm actually leaving on a flight tomorrow morning for Florida to train for a week, and then I go to Indian Wells, Miami, and then early April is Charleston, so... You know, a couple of big tournaments coming up and uh, the body's good and healthy and hopefully I can, you know, keep improving and get some more matches under my belt. Chance to celebrate in some way? What are you going to do? Um, yeah, I'm going to, you know, go out with my coach and uh, some friends here and, um, you know, have a, have a good dinner, have a meal and then, you know, raise some glasses, make some toast. It'll be a good time. Who is your coach? What words have you got for him or her? Uh, my coach, his name's Christian Zahalka. We've been working now for a few years, and uh, yeah, it's it's also for him as well. It's a great day, and it's a team effort. So um, yeah, we're both very happy. Final word for uh, New Zealanders or something, everyone that's been uh, following this. Uh, yeah, just everyone back home. Thank you for your support, and uh, thanks to everyone that was following and sending you know great messages of uh, of support. Uh, Big, big shout out to, to everybody. That's Marina Arakovic talking to Barry Guy, and the win improves Arakovic's ranking to number 62 in the world. Rowing New Zealand's bringing on board an Australian as their lead coach for their elite sweep program. Noel Donaldson's history includes coaching Australia's awesome foursome crew to back to back Olympic gold medals in Barcelona and Atlanta. He has until recently been head coach of Rowing Australia. 
Rowing New Zealand's high-performance manager Alan Cotter says recruiting a coach of high calibre was a priority and having a successful men's sweep high-performance programme looking to Rio in 2016 and beyond. And he's certain Donaldson's the best person for the job. Well, just with his results that he's uh, had um, over a period of time, um, his, his experience um, both as a head coach um, in Australia and so he's got a wealth of our own experience um, and also we believe that he can develop and uh, work with our coaches here uh, and lead them and um, he'll fit into our culture as well. Here's Australia though, uh, did New Zealanders come close? Uh, we have a few New Zealanders here and yes they were interviewed, uh, our coaches, so they were in the mix. But was it experience that counted most for him? Uh, that's correct. Uh, certainly with the number of years experience that he's had, um, that certainly was a big plus for us. Now just, uh, he's going to be the sweep coach, or, or rowing, yes. to find yes. the difference there, and obviously sculling's going pretty well here in New Zealand. Yes. Well, we, um, Dick uh, wanted to take the uh, women's program uh, for the next four years, so we set up uh, the men's program with the sculling side and the sweep side. And we've got Calvin Ferguson, who's got uh, three Olympic medals, uh, leading the sculling uh, program, and Knowles uh, leading the sweep men's program. We have four Olympic boats, which are the pair, the men's four, the men's eight, and the lightweight four. So the coaching setup it seems to be quite specific and detailed now. Is is that just where your program is now? Uh, it is. It's growing, uh, but it, we're still centralised here at Carapero, and they will still be working together as we have done in the past uh, on uh, on our training rows. So uh, nothing changes in, in there, but we're just uh, more specialising in the different fields. Will he be widely accepted? Uh, yes, it, you know, in the uh, uh, rowing community internationally, uh, you're in the boat park together, you get sit, sit down and have cups of tea and, and discuss things with uh, all different countries, the coaches, and uh, so and Noel is well known to our coaches, um, so uh, he'll be accepted. Uh, and uh, he's been through a bit, uh, What the, he had the awesome foursome in the 90s? Yes. Um, he's, he's been the head coach of uh, Australian rowing um, and also he has was the high performance director um, from 2005 through to eight. Um, so he's had a, he's got a lot of skills that he can bring um, to the program. Uh, and he's been in charge in Australia for a while. He obviously went through the the lay down Sally situation there. I mean, was there any sort of uh, you know fallout from that? Uh, we didn't bring that up, uh, Barry, so I'm not too sure on that side of things. So um, certainly uh, he's, he's got a number of world uh, championship medals as well as uh, as the Olympics, as you mentioned, the awesome foursome back in the 92-96 era. Was he not employed in Australia at the moment? Uh, yes, he's, um, he's employed by Australian Rowing um, over there, and he applied for the position here, and we went through the process. And why 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 was he interested in the New Zealand job? Uh, so you know it's a coaching uh, job at the highest level at the elite, and uh, with the Rowing New Zealanders um, program is held in high regard around the world, 
uh, we were second to Great Britain at the Olympics, so that's why the interest. Will he have much influence? You say he'll be here for the trial before the first World Cup regatta, but will he have much influence in selection? Uh, no, no, um, and not knowing the um, rowers at all. Um, he'll be here to view and see what's going on, uh, meet the selectors, meet the other coaches, and uh, that's the, the programme for the first week. So with his selection then, uh, you're pretty much in place. The next uh, you know, Olympic cycle's well and truly underway. Yes, we are. Um, we've set the structure up to take us through to Rio. That's rowing New Zealand's high-performance manager Alan Cotter talking to Barry Guy. The Men's Softball World Championships are underway in Auckland and New Zealand's Black Sox find themselves in the unusual position of not being the defending champions. The five-time world champions lost the last final in Canada to surprise winners Australia. It was the first time they hadn't won the title since losing the 1992 final to Canada. New Zealand's had a far from convincing build-up, but coach Eddie Colassi told Richard Wayne he's satisfied with the performances of the team ahead of their tournament opener against Mexico. We had players returning from the US in the off-season, players returning from injuries. So the sort of the mantra was the you know short-term pain for you know long-term gains. But uh, we're very happy where we were at, and I think the most important thing uh, is that uh, we, you know we need to be right for the next ten days. So I guess you've tracked in the right direction. You've got these injured players with some game time and you've actually started to come up with some wins against international sides when you know you were losing to club sides. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, we're very, very happy with where we're at. You know, we just need to ensure that we get off to a good start against Mexico and win that first game and, you know, the momentum will certainly build from there on in. How do you rate these teams, the international teams that you've beaten, the Czech Republic, the South African side, how do you rate those in terms of uh, the World Championships? You know, every nation, you know, brings, interesting enough, a lot of experience. So I think the New Zealand fans will be uh, pleasantly surprised with the level of softball that they're going to see over the next, you know, 10 days. Generally, I've only seen New Zealand and Australia compete. But, uh, you know, once you see some of these South American teams and European teams, you know, against the traditional powerhouses of Canada, you know, the USA and Japan, you know, along with obviously the defending champions, uh, Australia, you know, you're just going to see some fantastic softball. Like where's the level at now? Is uh, it really has lifted across the board, hasn't it? Yes, it has, and all, all sixteen teams, you know, are very, very strong. Obviously, there's going to be you know, your top four or five as there is in any sport and any tournament. But no game is easy, particularly against some of these teams. You know, South America and Colombia, for example, and Argentina. Um, you know, they, they just bring a, a different type of uh, intensity to a game, and you know, somewhat uh, untraditional. So, um, pretty exciting stuff. It seems that our strength might be in our batting this time rather than the traditional strengths of our pitching. Would you agree with that? Yeah, look, um, I, I think we have a, a battery team. Um, and I think in the past, you know, you know, New Zealand always has had uh, traditionally, you know, one or two big, uh, you know, household names in, in terms of our pitching stocks. You know, the, going back to the Kevin Herlihy's and the Steve Jackson, you know, Chop Tangaroa, Marty Grant, just, just fantastic uh, pitchers in their own right. Now, you know, we've got four good young men in this team. Our focus really is to ensure that if we have to use all four to win a game, that's what we'll do. How do you rate Mexico? Like, what, what sort of challenges are we going to have to, you know, pin them back? Any team out of that uh, South American, North America continent, you know, traditional baseball, you know, type players, so that they'll do the basics very, very well. 
you know, they'll swing the bat hard, they will bunt the ball when they need to bunt the ball. Whether they've got the pitching depth, you know, to test some of the stronger nations, you know, it remains to be seen. But you know, they'll, they'll be a tough proposition. The first game of the World Championship is always tough because you know, nerves are on the edge anyway. And you said it's a, you know, you've got to win this first game. It is a must-win then. Oh, definitely. You know, we have Mexico and Colombia in the first two games, and then, you know, straight into that three-game series of Japan, Canada, and Argentina. So a very, very tough draw. So it's, it's absolutely vital that we win the first one and then look forward to the, to the Saturday game and then, and then get ready for the, the following three. Will your skipper, Reese Casely, be able to take a full part? Where's he at? Yeah, Reese is uh, improving by the day, and he's not very far away. So, you know, we, we brought in Nathan Nukunuku as cover, and Nathan has just grabbed uh, the opportunity, as I knew he would, with, with both hands. So there's some real competition now going on for places. I think this New Zealand team, well, I believe this New Zealand team, is, you know, just right where it should be. Is there a danger in fielding your skipper if he's not going to be 100, if he hasn't had, you know, any match practice? Oh, very much so, and hence, uh, we, you know, he'll only play if he's 100%. Finally, then, the big question, can you win it again? Oh, absolutely. You know, we've committed ourselves for four years for this one. We knew it was at home. You know, we're not the defending champions for the first time in a long time, which is uh, somewhat different for us. It's going to be a huge challenge, but, uh, you know, we're just really looking forward to the challenge and uh, respecting the tournament and marching towards it. So, uh, absolutely, we, we, we want to be winning that last game of the tournament. That's Black Sox coach Eddie Colassi talking to Richard Wayne. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Houston. Bye for now. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.